in the season of Epiphany, uh, we're reflecting on the appearance into the world of forgiveness, and in particular, what it means for us to forgive one another. And last week, we started and um, the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew 18. And uh, last week, we just looked at the why of forgiveness, why we should forgive. And as we come back to this parable today, we're going to look at the how of forgiveness. How actually do we forgive? And so here, God's word to us from Matthew, um, the parable. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as, many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. And so the fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what they had taken, and they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had, been taken, had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Lord, we do pray um, that you pour your spirit upon us, our hearts and our minds, to teach us about what it means to forgive, um, and that you would cultivate in us um, the heart of forgiveness that Jesus talks about here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to forgive another person um, is a very hard thing to do, emotionally speaking. Um, and the greater the, greater, um, the harm um, that has been done to us, the harder it is to forgive and I think that most of us in life have found ourselves in a situation where we, we wanted to forgive, but we weren't able to forgive, right? Um, we want to forgive, but I just can't, emotionally speaking, right? I know it's what I should do. And I, I, I hear, and I've seen this many times over the years, where somebody says, I want to forgive, but I just cannot forgive. Um, forgiving is a lot like trying to stretch your body into a position that it doesn't want to go, especially when you've hurt yourself. You know, I talked last week about, you know, a bulge disc. You know, when you, you know, sometimes it'd be great if you could do the splits or put your palms to the ground with your legs straight, but you just can't do it, right? And oftentimes that's how forgiveness feels. It's, it's like a, asking your heart to bend in a way that it simply refuses to go. Um, 
in general, the emotions are not things that we think that we have control over, right? Uh, I feel what I feel. I, I, I just can't change that reality. And because of this, I think sometimes we feel helpless when it comes to uh, forgiveness. When we've been really hurt and then we're called on to forgive, um, it can f- make us feel somewhat helpless to forgive because, like, I can't change how I feel, right? Now, the good news is this, is that um, your emotions are actually not outside of your control, perhaps the way you think they are. I mean, that you can't act directly on your emotions ordinarily, um, but they're not outside of your control, which means that also that forgiveness is not outside of your control, um, Nevertheless, the emotions are not things that you can simply command, right? You can't just simply will yourself or, com- you know, command your heart to produce a kind of feeling or the right emotion. But what you can do is you can cultivate the right emotion. And, and, and because of that, we can also cultivate in us a capacity to forgive. Just like you can learn to stretch and bend to become more flexible in your body through practice and exercise, it is the same with forgiveness. We can learn to become forgiving people. That's, again, the promise of the gospel. Now, sometimes when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about forgiveness as a decision. Uh, Forgiveness is a choice. That's actually the title of a well-known book on forgiveness. And this is very true. Forgiveness is a choice. It is a decision. It always starts with a choice. If we don't choose to forgive, then the process of forgiveness never really starts. It never gets going. However, the decision to forgive is incomplete in our lives unless it leads to an emotional change of the heart. This is very important. Unless the decision to forgive leads to an emotional change of the heart, um, it's incomplete. And I think a lot of times we, we, we say we forgive a person, right? You might have even told them, I've forgiven you this. But it becomes clear through our demeanor, through our interactions with the person that we haven't forgiven them, right? Because we still bear a grudge, um, or we avoid that person, or we're quick to share unflattering details or opinions about that person given the opportunity. Um, Forgiveness starts with a decision to forgive, but it is only true forgiveness when there's been an emotional change in our hearts towards another person. Uh, Everett Worthington, um, who is a Christian psychologist and is recognized as one of the great um, leaders in forgiveness studies, has a book called Forgiveness and Reconciliation, um, which has been probably the most helpful book I've read about the practical how to forgive. Um, I highly recommend it if this is something um, that is really relevant to you, and I've, I've really, a lot of his insights have informed this sermon. But in his book, he talks about forgiveness, uh, emotional forgiveness, as requiring what he, he calls it emotional replacement, right? So when we feel uh, unforgiveness in our hearts towards others, it is a kind of, it manifests in the forms of emotions, not always hot emotions, but sometimes just cold emotions. Um, but he says that for forgiveness of the heart to take place, there has to be a kind of emotional replacement. And friends, this is not just a sort of therapeutic psychology speaking here. This is Jesus. This is what Jesus means, I think, when he says we have to forgive from the heart. Let me draw your attention to the very end of the parable. 
And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from the heart. So today I really want to explore with you what does it mean to forgive from the heart? How do you do this? How do you, um, how do, you do this? What's the process? So last week, uh, the focus of the sermon is on why. Why should we forgive one another? Where today, um, well, and why we should forgive is because God has forgiven us, right? Let's just remember that. That's, the, that's really the heart of this parable is uh, that point. We forgive others because God has forgiven us, and we, we repeat it every time we say the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Um, for followers of Jesus, um, forgiveness isn't optional. <laughs> the world thinks that forgiveness is optional, but as followers of Jesus, forgiveness is not an option. It's something God requires of us, and he can require it of us because he has forgiven us. Now, but how do you do this? That's the thing. That, that's the hard thing, and I really want it to be as practical as possible. Last week, I said that every week I want to give you at least one exercise, something really specific and practical to think about and to do as you learn to be a forgiving person. And this week, I actually have four. Yeah, it's four steps, right? This is the most practical sermon you'll ever get out of me. A four-step process for forgiveness. Um, and it really comes from this parable. I'm not just making this up. Um, it, you see this in the parable. This is how the king forgives. The king is a model of forgiveness. And of course, as the king, represents God, right? This is how God forgives us, right? So the f- king does four things. And so if you're a person that takes notes and wants to go back, here are the four things. I'm going to go through each. The first thing the king does is he holds the servant accountable for his wrongdoing. That's step one. Holds the servant accountable for his wrongdoing. Step two, he shows empathy towards the servant's situation, right? He takes pity. Step three, he cancels his debt. And step four, he releases the servant. He sets him free, right? So those are the four steps. Now, it's, it's significant that in this parable, God, the king is compared to God, right? And, and something I've said that you're never more like God when you're forgiving one another. This is the heart of the New Testament, right? Teaching us, you're never more like God when you're forgiving one another. But the reality is, is that forgiveness is hard work. And I just want to recognize that. It is hard work. And we should not be afraid to talk about it and talk plainly about it. And I think sometimes... Uh, pastors, evangelical pastors, and especially in the Reformation traditions, like the Reformed tradition, Lutherans, um, sometimes we're hesitant to talk about and push people to do hard work. We're, we're, we're somehow, we're, we're afraid that if we talk about the hard work and effort for Christian faithfulness, that somehow we're teaching works righteousness. And I, I think it's really important to keep in mind that the effort, um, that when we, we talk about effort in the Christian life, um, it's not because we're trying to earn something from God. There's a difference between effort that tries to merit, work that tries to merit, in other words, to please God or to get God's approval or to earn something, and, and effort and work that is a response, actually, to God's grace. 
And I mean, that's the paradox at the heart of forgiveness is in a way we're doing this hard work of forgiving and we always have the fact that God has forgiven us, staring us in the face. And so when we commit to the hard work of forgiveness, um, you're not trying to earn your salvation. You're not trying to keep your salvation. What you're trying to do is you're trying to let God work his grace and forgiveness deep in your own heart as you forgive others. Now, before we step, get into those, that four-step process of forgiveness, I want you to consider what happens to the unmerciful servant when he refuses to forgive. The imagery here is imprisonment. He's thrown in prison. And that, that imagery and metaphor of imprisonment, I think, is a very powerful one that captures what happens to our hearts when we refuse to forgive. They're imprisoned. They're imprisoned. When we refuse to forgive, what we do is we, we create a prison for that person in our own minds. You know, through rumination, we, we ruminate on what they said or what they didn't say or what they did or didn't do. And what we do is we lock them up in an inner prison in our own hearts. And the bars and the walls of that prison are built from uh, negative emotions like resentment and bitterness and anger and malice. And the problem is this, is, and so we play it over and over again, but the problem is, is that that when you lock somebody up in a prison in your own heart because of what they did to you, you yourself end up getting locked up with them. There is a, a saying attributed to the Buddha that I think puts a very uh, fine point on this matter. Um, and he says, holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at someone else. But you are the one who gets burned. Think about it. That's, that's what unforgiveness does. It's like holding a hot coal in your hand, thinking you're going to, I'm going to throw this at this person, but as you're holding it, you're burning yourself, right? See, when we hold on to unforgiveness in the form of grudges and resentment and bitterness or anger, we think we're hurting the other person, but, and we might be, right? But we're also hurting ourselves, and when our lives are marked by unforgiveness, it locks up our hearts. And it doesn't just hurt the people that, that we want it to hurt. It actually hurts others around us as well. Because there's always, and if the de- forgiveness is really de- un- unforgiveness is really deep in our lives, it spills over. It has a spillover effect into our other relationships. It kind of seeps in, and it manifests in all kinds of different ways. Lack of trust, um, extreme sensitivity, irritability, uh, moodiness, self-centeredness, um, the inability to be vulnerable and trusting. Um, when we don't forgive, see, f- maint- unforgiveness in our hearts requires, maintaining that, requires a lot of emotional energy. It's, all, it's emotional energy that you are taken away <laughs> from other places, such as loving others that you want to love. And I think this is one of the reasons why uh, Jesus says you have to forgive from the heart. Because otherwise, and this is the thing we don't often realize, is that when we don't forgive others, when we really hold on to grudges, um, you, we give other people continued power over us. We, we let people still have power over us to injure us 
And that's why forgiveness needs to be from the heart because it's only then that we're free to love, love God and love others. And so, okay, let's look at this. Let's look at these four steps. The first thing that the king does is he holds a servant accountable for his wrongdoing. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had to make payment. Now, the process of forgiveness starts with a full recognition of the wrong that has been committed. The king confronts the servant, calls him before him with his debt that he owes him, and he informs him of the consequences of not being able to pay the debt. I think this is very important. Um, Sometimes people argue or claim that forgiveness means overlooking, right? Overlooking evil or wrongdoing, not holding people accountable for evil. But this is a misunderstanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not sort of, you know, looking the other way or going light on evil. The king calls a servant before him, holds him accountable for his debt, and spells out the consequences. And I think this this step is especially important when there has been grievous injury and harm, such as in cases of abuse and criminal actions. Truth is very, very important part of the process of forgiveness. You can't short-circuit this part of the process. Forgiveness is not looking the other way from sin and evil. It starts, actually, with what is true about what has happened. Now, I'm going to come back in future weeks and talk about what it means to forgive horrendous evil in the world and injustice. But that's not where most of us live the majority of the time, and those aren't the kinds of things we're asked to forgive the majority of the time. Usually it's personal relationship things between one another as spouses and family members or children or community or workplaces. And there's an important way that um, the king as a model of forgiveness is very different from us, right? See, when the king forgives, the issue is pretty straightforward. It's very black and white. He has a financial record of what this man owes him. There's really no ambiguity about who's at fault and who owes who. But in our ordinary lives, this is very, very rarely ever the case where it's just clear cut. It's black and white. You wrong me. I'm the victim. You're the perpetrator. Almost never. I mean, most of our lives are lived in a kind of gray zone of relational connection in which we are generally, I mean, I'm not saying this never happens, but most of the times when we're hurt by others, uh, sometimes we were part of, maybe we hurt them ahead of time. (laughs) Maybe we're part of this this bigger thing that's going on. Which means this, is that, that establishing what is true about what happens can be a little more complicated. Um, We still need to do it. We still need to pursue what is true, but we have to do it with a lot of humility and gentleness. And we actually have to be open to the fact that when we confront others with the way they've hurt us, that maybe we we hurt them. Maybe they are reacting to something we did or didn't do. And so that's very important. We have to be open and seeking the truth of what happened. And it's always more complicated. But I think it's really important I think that for a lot of people, and I've experienced this personally, that some of the most liberating, I I feel liberated in my forgiveness simply when I can talk about it openly with the other person. 
Even if they, they, they don't see it as I see it completely, but the fact that I was able to get it off my chest and share what happened and how that hurt me, that in and of itself, however they react, helps me just let it go. And a lot of times it's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to say that or I didn't mean to do that. I didn't realize that that impacted you that way. And so I just, at a certain level, I, I just want to say, talk to one another. You got to talk to one another. It takes courage. You got to talk to one another, not just vent or accuse, but you got to talk to one another with humility. You can't just stuff it. See, that's what happens a lot of times we, especially in relationships, we, we feel hurt and we don't talk about it and we feel hurt and we stuff it and then we develop bitterness and grudges and, and we need to talk with one another. But what happens? What happens when a person, we share actually a harm or wrong and they do not, they're not repentant. <laughs> They refuse to take responsibility for what they did. Does this mean that forgiveness ends? The process of forgiveness ends? No. No. But there's a really important distinction or dis- that we need to make between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship after the forgiveness process has worked itself out. Right? That's reconciliation. Reconciliation is the, the restoration of a relationship after forgiveness process has worked itself out. And forgiveness always, from a Christian perspective, forgiveness always aims for reconciliation. It's really important. But sometimes reconciliation is not possible. And, but this doesn't mean that we can't still forgive another person, even though we cannot be reconciled in relationship with them. Even when they refuse to take responsibility or are just straight up unrepentant, that does not mean that we still cannot forgive. One of the important truths about reconciliation And the reason why reconciliation often does not happen is because we can't agree on a shared narrative of what happened. We don't actually agree about the truth of what happened, right? And at this point, things break down, right? Um, When we cannot, you know, come to a shared narrative of harms that were done, even with different perspectives on that narrative, but when there's no common narrative, of what has happened. This makes reconciliation um, nearly impossible, but not forgiveness. And I've seen this a lot. (laughs) The breakdown often happens in in the narrative, and this is why the pursuit of truth with humility and gentleness is so important. And when uh, this breaks down, often it's because we're not uh, able to do the second part of this process of forgiveness. We can't show empathy. Usually when we can't arrive at a common narrative, it's because one person in the part, one party is unable or unwilling to empathize with the other person. And that's the second point here. The second thing the king does is he takes pity on the servant. After being confronted by the king, the servant fell down on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The king took pity on the servant. Now, what does this mean exactly? It means that 
the king established a positive emotional connection to the servant by understanding his situation, right? The king, is, he, he established a positive emotional connection to the servant by understanding his situation. And today in our culture, we call this empathy, right? The king was empathetic with the servant's situation. Empathy is the ability to understand and to share the feelings of another person. It's to get outside of your head and your, your, your perspective and to, to, to try to see things from the other person's perspective, not just um, perspective taking, but actually even shared feeling. The king empathized with the servant in his situation and saw things from his perspective, and this moved him to compassion. Um, but to empathize with a person who wrongs us isn't, again, it's not to cancel out the wrong they did. Um, but what it does is it helps us appreciate uh, the context of their action and why they acted the way they did, which is so important for us and when we forgive. Because otherwise, if we don't understand from their perspective and how they might have, you know, what happened, it's very easy for us to supply our own context. And our own context, when we're really hurt, is always to make them way worse of a person than they really are. That's the tendency of a heart when it's hurt, is to want to demonize the person who hurt them. And when we have cut off relationships with one another, when, when the thing that happened actually keeps us from interacting anymore, and we don't have the human face that's looking at us and talking to us, it's easy in our own minds to imagine a person and imagine the worst possible thing about them. They intended to hurt me. This is what they wanted. This is what they wanted to do. And we believe all these worst things about them. But empathy moves us in the opposite direction the complete opposite direction. To empathize with a person is not to, again, excuse their wrongdoing, but it is to humanize them, not to demonize them. It is to um, try to understand, as hard as that is, what they might have been thinking, what they might have been feeling. See, it's hard to stay intensely anger, angry or bitter or resentful um, when you have a person's full humanity in front of you. And one of the marks of a, of a life of forgiveness is a person of forgiveness, just a capacity to empathize, a, a capacity to, to get into another person's shoes and see things from their perspective, to be, um, again, not, not agreeing with their choices. And we, we do this all the time in, in marriage and in, in family, as parents, as spouses, we, we, we empathize with our spouse, right, with our children, and they do things that really hurt us. But the forgiveness process in these contexts are, tends to be a little bit easier because we kind of know them, and it's a little bit easier to see what they might have been thinking. See, in any relationship, um, when one party can no longer empathize with the other one, especially in marriage, I mean, this is an absolute danger zone. Like, if you cannot empathize with your spouse, like, that is a danger, danger, danger zone. And you need to check <laughs> your heart. Because the, 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 the front line of emotional work in, in, in forgiving others happens right here. Learning to, to empathize, to see this person as a full person. And this requires for us, it's not an easy thing to do, right? It's the emotional front line. If there is a war and a battlefront, this is where the battlefront is. It's right here. It's the hardest part of forgiveness because, again, we want to go in the opposite direction, which is to protect ourselves, to become invulnerable, to, to want to continue to be angry, 
to nurture these certain kinds of feelings. And, 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 but, but again, this, pushes, this is not where the Lord has called us to. You know, if you look at when, and, and Paul especially talks about forgiveness, forgiveness is always surrounded by these other virtues. They're forgiveness virtues. Humility, gentleness, compassion, mercy, love, right? In order to be empathetic person, you need to cultivate all these other things. Patience. This deserves a whole sermon on its own. But these are the fruit of the Spirit working in our lives. So, the king, recap, he calls a servant before him, holds him accountable. He shows empathy towards the servant. And third, he cancels his debt. The third step of offering forgiveness is canceling the debt. And what does this canceling mean? It means that the king will no longer require payment from the servant. He absorbs the debt. He eats the cost, right? He's not going to hold the debt over the servant any longer or hold it against him, right? Now, how is this practically expressed in our life? Like, so what, is it, what does it mean for us to cancel the debt in our relationships in which forgiveness has sort of had to come to bear? When it, it means that, that you give up, you know, you don't punish, right? You don't, you're not going to require punishment, emotionally or otherwise. You're, you're not going to require a repayment plan. Uh, it means you, you don't continually bring up the wrong and hold it over their heads and remind them every time they make you upset of what they did to you in the past. It means you, you strive. And this is not easy. I'm not saying it's, it's a simple thing to do. You strive not to let the past wrongs define how you relate to the person in the future of the relationship. And, and no, you might be wondering, well, how is this possible when reconciliation? How do you cancel the debt with a person that you've never, you simply cannot be reconciled to in relationship? Does that even matter? It does, actually. <laughs> because what it means is this. Is, so if you have a situation in which you have a broken relationship and there's no possibility, or at least in the immediate term, of reconciliation, what does it mean to cancel that person's debt? It means you stop ruminating over what they did to you. You stop replaying like a kind of a, a internet gif, right, that goes over and over that harm that was done to you. And less and less, as a person, do, you, do, you remember, do they come to mind and what they did to you? And when, when you do remember it, you remember it, and instead of it causing you deep pain and heartache or emotional trauma, actually, it's, you remember it, but it doesn't, it doesn't cause you anxiety like it did in the past. That's a sign that, that you've canceled that debt. Now, canceling the debt of another person is very hard as well. It's not an easy thing. And again, the bigger the debt, the harder it is to cancel. And often very uh, part of the canceling of this debt will require for you, as the debt canceler, a process of grieving. Because when, when we cancel a debt, when people wrong us, what they do is they take something from us. That's that financial metaphor we talked about last week. When you cancel a debt, you absorb the cost of something. Something was taken from you. And when you cancel that, and you're not requiring payment from that person, you're not going to ask them to give back what they took from you, that means you actually, in some cases, you have to grieve what was taken from you. And this is where forgiveness and grieving go together. Forgiveness and grieving go together. Sometimes things are taken from you that you will never get back. And you have to grieve that loss. You have to let it go. That's what grieving is about. 
It's about recognize something that has been taken from you that you cannot get back. And in, in cases when reconciliation is not possible, usually the thing that you grieve the most is the loss of the relationship. You have to let it go. You have to release, right? That's part of canceling the debt. Now, I want to remind you from something I said last week about this, though. As God's children, the Lord will never require you to cancel a debt, to absorb the cost of a debt that will bankrupt you. You'll never, friends, in Jesus Christ, you will never have to absorb a debt that will bankrupt you, that will ruin you emotionally. Nobody can ever take something from you that God in his grace cannot restore. And that brings us to the final point here, which is that the king releases the servant. He sets him free. The final thing that a king does is he cancels the debt and he sets the man free. Um, And this is the heart of forgiveness. The heart of forgiveness is freedom. It's being set free. And when you forgive another person, what you do, you've let them out of your debtor prison in your mind. And the prison gets destroyed, comes down. You don't have a prison at the center of your heart anymore. And this is something that, um, in the case of the man, was very public. Um, Everybody knew this man had been forgiven, right? We know this because when he doesn't forgive, everybody's like, what's going on here? The king has publicly committed to forgiving this man. There's been this declaration that his debt has been canceled, he has been forgiven, and everybody's aware of it. And I think that when, not always, but sometimes it's really important for forgiveness and our relationships for, towards reconciliation for there to be a public, not, not in a big group, but between one another, where one party says to the other, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's okay. I love you. I forgive you. That's really, really important. And it's that, that public declaration. That's precisely what the Lord does to us. He declares you forgiven. And from that forgiveness, what does that mean? That means your relationship is no, no longer defined by the wrong. That the future of the relationship is no longer absolutely determined by the, the wrong that was done in it. And when you offer people forgiveness, what you're doing is you're offering them um, the opportunity to start again in relationship to you, a freedom to be related to you that isn't always weighed down by the mistakes and the things they've done to you. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is what God has done to us. The reason that we can forgive one another is because God has forgiven us. We can live a forgiving life is because we have a forgiven life. Forgiveness is to have a future that is no longer determined and faded by the sins of our past, defined as a kind of fate. It means that we're more than the worst thing we have ever done. But God's forgiveness also means that not only are our lives not ultimately defined by our sins, our lives are not ultimately defined by other people's sins against us. That's so important. Your life, friend, does not have to be defined by the evils that others have committed against you. God's forgiveness is powerful enough to liberate us not only from our own sins, but for the sins of others. In Jesus Christ, God has intervened. God has made a way. In Jesus Christ, on the cross, the Lord has absorbed all the guilt, all the sin, 
into his own life, and he has canceled that debt, and he has released us. And therefore, in receiving his forgiveness in our own life, we are free. Friends, you are free to live not with fear and judgment, but in love. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that this, the glorious truth of forgiveness, forgiving um, that starts with you and, and ends with you, would um, become part of our breath, our life, how we are ordered to this world and towards one another. And I do pray for, for any or all in here who are perhaps thinking about a specific relationship or incident and that your word would, and your forgiveness would help them process that. We give you thanks for your great grace to us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.